Phil Eddy is an author, therapist, lawyer, and mediator, and the co-founder of the High Conflict Institute, which provides training for managing high-conflict disputes and high-conflict personalities. Phil has trained professionals and companies in the U.S. and abroad, and has written several books on high-conflict personalities at work and at home, including High-Conflict People in Legal Disputes, Splitting, Protecting Yourself While Divorcing Someone with Borderline or Narcissistic Personality Disorder, It's All Your Fault at Work, Managing Narcissists and Other High-Conflict Personalities, Five Types of People Who Can Ruin Your Life, and Others. In our conversation today, Bill and I talk about how how you can identify someone with a high-conflict personality, what are the different types of personality disorders that often go along with high-conflict personalities, and some super helpful tips on how to deal with these types of people at home and in our personal lives. To set up this call with you today, I found you as a result of doing some research on high-conflict personalities in my work as a life and relationship coach, and I've just read some of your books and read some of your articles and you know, it's funny, I came across an article recently that I found really helpful and realized sort of after the fact that you were the same guy as, as a book I had read about a month ago, which was incredible. So um, I said, I need, to, I need to see if he would be up for an interview because I think you're just doing some incredible work, very important work in this space. Um, so you're a therapist, mediator, attorney, author of several books on conflict and relationships. And then you went and co-founded the High Conflict Institute. What inspired you to create that? Well, actually, it's a collaboration with a woman named Megan Hunter. And she worked for the Arizona uh, Supreme Court system and had invited me to come speak to her family law judges for the state of Arizona. And I came and spoke to them. And I think there were 33 of them. And she said that they found my my presentation, my seminar, the most helpful that they'd ever had. Mm. And so she said that she was also, she had finished an MBA in evening school and was starting to launch a business of uh, doing seminars and having speakers. And she said, look, you know, why don't you and I do this together? And so we agreed to do that. And the topic of high conflict, really both of us got into that because it's such a big part of family law and family court where people are going through divorces and custody disputes and all of that. So that really is where it got started. And we really focused on high conflict divorce cases at the start. But as I'll tell you, it really grew from there. Yeah, I can see that. It definitely seems like it, it's burgeoned and flourished and, and gone down some different avenues, which is really cool. Um, so what kind of services, in addition to obviously kind of helping people with high-conflict divorce, what are, what are some other services that you provide? Well, what, what, we, what we really do now is we train professionals and not just family lawyers, family mediators, family counselors, but also lawyers, counselors, mediators in general. Also, now we're doing a lot of training and consulting in the workplace. So human resource managers, employee assistance professionals. We're also training administrators, managers. um, and, And so we've really 
branched out. But the services we provide to the average individual is uh, a lot of uh, free articles so that they can get tips for managing uh, situations with a high-conflict person, whether it's a family member, a neighbor, someone at work. Um, and also we have books, videos, etc. So we're basically an educational and training um, service. So people can come to our website, highconflictinstitute.com, and get uh, information, or they can also arrange consultations with us um, or having us come speak to a group. Although I have to say, I've been traveling the last 12 years around the country and, and around the world, and the last three months, all that came to a halt, and so I'm doing okay. everything, everything by Zoom now. So, right. Um, but that's basically it, education and training. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a ton of resources on on this website, which I found to be amazing. Just a wide range of content, articles, links to the books you've written and, and other folks have written, which is just really instrumental if people are looking for help in this space. So, um, right. so that's that's amazing. Kind of launching into high conflict personalities, you know, it's obviously easy given your expertise and experience to determine if someone has this personality type, but how would you, you know, give advice or consult to someone who is trying to identify if someone else is a high conflict personality? Like what are the key traits of a well, high it's, personality? Yeah, it's we've really narrowed it down, so it's become surprisingly easy. I describe these four key characteristics. And then I ask people, so you know, does this ring a bell? And it's oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, yeah, I can think of six people right now. <laughs> but the four characteristics, number one is a preoccupation with blaming others. Mm-hmm. And it can be quite shocking when you're in a conversation with someone like this and they're just, they're just outraged at what everybody else has done. Mm-hmm. But zero responsibility on their own part. And that's yeah. why it's not like, 40% or 20%. It's 0%. Problems wow. are always somebody else's fault. And so it's it's usually, you know, it's just obvious to people. Certain people mm-hmm. are just constantly, and it's not just by the way they blame other people. It's a preoccupation mm-hmm. with blaming other people. All that energy that 80% of people put into reflecting on, gee, did I do something wrong here? Do I need to do something different? They put into, it's all your fault. Yeah. (laughs) It's like a high unself-awareness versus someone who's highly self-aware. It's like the direct opposite of that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and we teach and encourage self-awareness because that's where people can adapt and adjust and get along better, solve problems together. Right. But but maybe 10% of people, we think, have this as their predominant way of solving problems. And so problems don't get solved and they escalate. That's why we call them high-conflict personalities. Right. So that's, that's the first characteristic. Mm-hmm. The second is all-or-nothing thinking and solutions. And so if they'll, they'll say, look, it's my way or the highway. I'm not giving in an inch. You know, and mm-hmm. compromise is a dirty word. 
Right. And, you know, these people are all good. Everything they do is just fine. And these people are all bad and everything mm-hmm. they do is just terrible. And right. so right. they they have that kind of all or nothing thinking. And it's and it's true for them. They really see things that way, mm-hmm. especially under stress. They they do even more of that. Right. It's like but, there's no there's no ability to see the nuance in a situation. Kind yeah. of that black or white thinking, good or bad, like you said. Interesting. Right. And so it's hard to solve problems or conflicts with them. It's like, you know, if you're having a conflict with a reasonable person and you go, whoa, wait a minute, we got a problem here. Mm-hmm. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll do this if you'll do that. How does that sound? Right. <laughs> and exactly. these folks are like, no way. You have to do everything different and I have nothing to do different because it's all your fault and none oh. of my fault. And so... That doesn't work. And, right. and we teach people that even if a problem is primarily caused by somebody else, look for your part in it. If oh, you no. can ask yourself, what's my part in this problem, you're probably not a high-conflict person. Sure. That and so sense. that's a really good good question to ask about. Yeah. That. That's helpful. Now, yeah. And, and it's simple. <laughs> right. But totally. The, the third thing is um, is unmanaged emotions. Mm-hmm. Now, not all high-conflict people show this. Some are very controlled, and it's not obvious for a while that they have a high-conflict personality. But for many people, this is a big part of it. And so, you know, if you're, like I was saying, trying to solve a problem and say, look, I'll do this if you'll do that, they might start screaming at you. And right. they might say, if you think that way, then I'm leaving this room. Mm-hmm. And wow. I've had, had people say that, that they, they can't even tolerate someone thinking the way they do. And I often tell people, you can think anything, it's what you do that matters. Um, totally. So, so we see this, uh, people, the emotional escalation, and it just kind of interferes with their thinking. Mm-hmm. And so you see the emotions driving them. And sometimes they're even partly aware of it. It's like, but they can't, they can't stop themselves. And they really truly lack um, emotional regulation. And some people um, have this as a personality disorder, and there's treatment right. for that. Right. And some people learn to sell, to regulate their emotions who didn't sure. used to. And it's yeah. a step-by-step slow process, but, but people can learn to do that. But our high-conflict people feed conflicts because of that emotional, um, un, unmanaged emotions. Right. And what I find interesting about this personality type is they're sort of imposing distress on other people. That's probably throwing the person that they're interacting with, their nervous system completely out of whack, but it's almost because their own nervous system in response of their, like, inability to regulate their emotion is completely out of whack. So it's interesting how it's like this dual effect on themselves and imposing on other people. Um, Yes, and that's a good point because people don't realize emotions are contagious. So you're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. 
Now, as, as a therapist, I've had clients with these types of problems sometimes, mm-hmm. and they've even said, I want you to feel as bad as I feel. And so wow. if they're suddenly yelling, and I know this as a therapist, they say, well, what's, what's going on underneath here? What, what, just, what thoughts got triggered there? Mm-hmm. Well, that you think I'm an idiot or I'm a failure or something like that. And I said, I don't think that at all. Let's yeah. let's back this up and find out what what triggered that, right? And how you can you know have a more accurate thought going here because that may help yeah. your emotions calm down. Totally, totally, yeah. And so that's a slow learning process. But some people, you know, sometimes it takes six months, sometimes a couple of years. Start going, oh, I have to mm-hmm. check myself. I have to see what thought I have that's driving this emotion. Sure. What are some ways that people can sort of check themselves if they're in the midst of this emotional kind of turmoil? I think, first of all, is is that question I mentioned earlier, say, wait a minute, what's my part in this? Right. But the second thing is, what was I thinking when mm-hmm. those emotions started taking over? Sure. Because that's that's a big part of what they call cognitive therapy. Mm-hmm. is that the way you think influences the way you feel. Exactly. So a simple example is you look out the window and it's cloudy outside. You say, oh, darn, it's cloudy outside. I wanted to sit in the yard. Or, you know, it's supposed to be summer and beautiful, and now it's, oh, I'm going to have a rotten day because it's cloudy outside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a what we call a cognitive distortion, because right. it's kind of all or nothing thinking about the clouds. Mm-hmm. And totally. so if you go, well, wait a minute, this part of what we teach in counseling, and, and you can do this in coaching and people right. can do it on their own, is write down a more realistic thought mm-hmm. that isn't all or nothing. Like, oh, all right, so it's cloudy, so this would be a good day to uh, read that book. Exactly. Or, um, Write you know, in my journal watch, or, yeah, watch, yeah. watch a TV show you haven't been able to watch exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so people can really help themselves out of this. And the reality is most people do. Most people go, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an all or nothing situation. Right. You know, what can I do? And I can sit in the yard if it's cloudy. If it starts right. to rain, then I'll come in. But Exactly. It's that type of thing. And so learning, and sad to say, some people, you know, childhood was difficult, or maybe they're kind of born this way, don't really have the skills of checking themselves mm-hmm. and, and turning their thinking around. But it just seems like 99.9% of people can learn those skills. Exactly. Yeah, especially, like you said, with therapy and with some kind of reinforcement around how how you can work on this thing, which I think is, is key, yeah. like behavioral therapy and whatnot. Um, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and and then the fourth. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably wondering there's four. Exactly the what I was about to ask. Yeah. <laughs> and that is extreme behavior. Okay. And they have a pattern of extreme behavior. And I used to say you can't really know until you see this over time if they're stuck in a pattern of extreme behavior. But a few years ago, I realized, you know, a lot of our high-conflict people had done something 
that 90% of people would never do. And when you know that, like let's say somebody punches a hole in the wall mm-hmm. and and they go, oh, I was just stressed. And it's mm-hmm. like, ignore the excuse and think to yourself, would 90% of people have done that even if they were stressed? Right. You know, somebody, sure. there was a uh, person that was in the newspaper several years ago, was someone shoved and knocked down a uh, woman at the airport counter because they were frustrated waiting to get their suitcase. Mm-hmm. And it was in the news because they were a public figure. Sure. And, and, and half the people said, that's awful, that's terrible. And the other half people said, oh, well, he was tired. He had just flown mm-hmm. across country. You have to understand he was tired. Wow. And I'm thinking, I have flown across country hundreds of times, (laughs) and I can't even imagine doing that. Yeah, never. Never. So if you you can't ever imagine doing that, and you can't imagine 90% of people doing that, you're probably seeing high-conflict behavior of a high-conflict person, and I'll bet there's a pattern underneath the surface. And, for example, that politician, then six months later, a year later, was elected to a different office, and eight months later, he was thrown out of that office because mm-hmm. guess what? Mm-hmm. He had a pattern of harassing and shoving people around. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so it it, extreme behavior, yeah. Sure. And I think of um, domestic violence is another example of that. Okay. Um, people lying significantly. Uh-huh. Is right. another example, hiding money, and of course, mm-hmm. in high-conflict divorce cases, I have sometimes people disappear with the kids, so the other wow. parent can't be with them. So these are clearly high-conflict patterns of sure. behavior, and that's what a high-conflict personality okay. is. Now, that all makes sense. Do you find that high-conflict personalities, which is kind of the umbrella term, and this is maybe a dumb question. I kind of know the answer, but I think for our listeners, it's important to dis- distinguish. Would you say, is it safe to say that they're often associated with borderline disorder, narcissism, and sociopathy in general? Or what, what is the line between those, would you say? Well, what, what I would say is there's an overlap. Mm-hmm. That those are personality disorders you're describing. Right. And so borderline, narcissistic, antisocial, paranoid, histrionic, those mm-hmm. are five of the ten personality disorders, mm-hmm. some of whom have high conflict personalities. And here's the way to look at it mm-hmm. is people with personality disorders are stuck. They're stuck in a dysfunctional pattern of behavior that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. But but they're stuck in different types of dysfunctional behavior patterns that don't change. Okay. So that's the main characteristic of personality disorders. The main characteristic of high-conflict personalities is this preoccupation with blaming others. Sure. So I would say a lot of the people with one of these five personality disorders are not high-conflict people because they don't focus on targets of blame. They just go, I don't know why these things happened. I think the universe is out to get me, you know. <laughs> but is they, it, yeah, finish your thought and I have a I was just going to say, they can't see their part in the problem. 
but sure. they don't necessarily blame a specific person. The ones who are high conflict who personality tend to have traits of one of these five, if not a full disorder. So the key is the enduring pattern of a personality disorder combined with the preoccupation with blaming others, mm-hmm. and that's where you get your high conflict personalities. Okay. And oftentimes, it's true with borderlines that they'll assign blame to usually one particular person in their life. Is that true? Uh, I would say it it depends at the time. Generally, it's one particular person. Like, let's mm-hmm. say it's a divorce or right. a, a breakup that wasn't married. But, but that can switch around. Sometimes mm-hmm. it may include, like in high-conflict divorces, if I've represented the other person, then they hate me too. Totally. <laughs> and so yeah, that makes sense. It's like Mr. Eddie and my husband right. are the worst people in the world I've ever met. Things sure. like that. The target it could include move. it could include their targets of Blaine's parents, like their mm-hmm. in-laws. Sure. It might be well, my ex-wife um, and her parents are the cause of all our problems. Right. That makes <laughs> so, sense. Or the, really, new, the new boyfriend yeah. or girlfriend or whatever, in addition. Right. Um, no, that makes sense. What, what's the difference? Yeah. So we're, we're focusing on high-conflict personalities, of course, but um, diving a little bit into these personality disorders, what would uh-huh. you say is the difference between borderline disorder and narcissism? Good, good, good question. And so borderline has characteristics that generally go with a fear of abandonment, that under the surface there's a fear of abandonment that's not conscious for the person. And by the way, let me say right now, don't tell somebody you think they have a personality disorder and don't tell somebody you think they have a high-conflict personality. Sure, that's good advice. You will become their target of being for life. (laughs) Yeah, good advice. but it's sad for, for people with borderline personality disorder, they tend to cling to relationships because they have this un- underlying insecurity, fear of abandonment. Mm-hmm. But the clinging itself tends to push people away. And so when they think someone is pulling away from them, then they may go into a rage against them. And sometimes that includes violence. They may hit them or block them from leaving the house. And sometimes it doesn't involve violence. But the pattern tends to be a buildup of tension, an explosion of rage, and then a period of remorse. And whether it's a man or a woman, this borderline pattern really seems to go with maybe about 6% of the U.S. adult population, because it's okay. the, the research says borderline's about 6% of the population. So they, the characteristic is mood swings, sudden mm-hmm. intense anger, and difficulty regulating their emotions. Okay. So the ones that, you know, they may be happy and friendly, and a minute later, they are mm. outraged. It's like, leave this house. I can't wow. stand you. Or, you know, get down on your knees and beg for forgiveness mm. or whatever. It's wow. just, and that's an example of emotions taking over. And then the next day, they just feel horrible about or, that. And or forget about it. Is that or forget that about can it. can happen where they just totally yeah. forget their behavior the day before. Yeah. 
Right. And it seems to be actually a, a brain dysfunction that's been mm -hmm. identified with some parts of the brain that may have not fully developed that help regulate emotions. And that's why people with borderline personality disorder, we have a lot of hope for them because if they take some therapy that teaches emotion regulation, then sometimes they can even outgrow the diagnosis. Wow. And so, yeah, so That's we're really awesome. encouraged. It's just hard to get people into therapy because they think it's everybody else's fault exactly. and they have a problem. Yeah, the assigning yeah. of blame toward so that. So that's, in a nutshell, borderline <laughs> personality. There's books and, and just lots and lots of information nowadays about that. Right. And there's a lot of hope. That's the thing I want well, to say. Well, that's positive. No, that's very positive. Yeah. Is it possible for borderlines to sort of be in therapy for a long time and maybe not make progress, though? Yes, yeah. if it's not the right kind of therapy. And yeah. historically... You know, therapists used to go, well, let's talk about your relationship with your mother when you were three years old. Mm, right. That doesn't help borderlines change. What they need is these skills of self-regulation and mm -hmm. self-management. So, for example, there's a method called DBT, Dialectical yep. Behavior Therapy. Sounds like you've heard of it. I've heard of yeah. it, yeah. 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 And so that doesn't focus on, like, the past as much as mm. what to do now. Let's talk about what's coming up this week, how you can manage your emotions, how you can calm your distress. So if you, can, you know, one of the techniques is distress tolerance mm -hmm. and build up your ability to go, okay, this is stressful, but I can cope with this. I can manage exactly. this. Exactly. And so... Things like that can help people with that personality and help them have happier relationships. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's, I, I yeah. should mention that um, connected to High Conflict Institute, our sister organization, Unhooked Books, has published yeah. many books about high conflict and personality disorders. Yeah. And there's a book I really recommend to people by a woman who's kind of recovering from borderline oh, personality neat. disorder. It's called The Big Book of Borderline Personality Disorder. Oh, cool. Okay. And I'll, so that... I'll make sure to link to that as well. That's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. So if, if they come to highconfidenceinstitute.com and click on the store in the menu, they'll see all the different books. Great. But, awesome. And that's, that's relative. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and what's great about that is it's someone who was dealing with a borderline personality disorder and has learned right. those skills to, to outgrow that and now is helping other people. For sure. That's great. I hadn't heard that there really was emerging research and experience about people learning or developing skills to overcome borderline disorder. So that's, that's great. That's really yes. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Now, and if people can yeah. get encouraged into treatment, sometimes they can save a relationship. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah. 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 So you so wanted the other side of this. You wanted yeah. narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. Let's hear about that. So narcissistic personality disorder, the themes with that are I'm very superior and having disdain for people who are inferior. So what they do is they split people into superior and inferior, or winners and losers. And this is parallel, in a way, 
to uh, people with borderline personality disorder who tend to split people into all good or all bad, and they kind of switch back and forth. Well, narcissists see people as all good or all bad, and in a way, they have self-esteem dysregulation. Mm. In other words, borderline have emotion dysregulation, and and narcissists have self-esteem dysregulation or unmanaged self-esteem. So they're constantly pumping themselves up mm. by putting other people down. So totally. relationships with them, you know, they're very charming at first and mm-hmm. very seductive. Um, they say you're wonderful. They do this, that, and the other thing. But once they have you, once you've committed to them, you now get to be the person that they dump on to make themselves look superior. And so you may be standing in public or with a group of friends, and then they start talking about you like you're a real idiot. Mm -hmm. And people go, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I didn't realize that about her. Um, But it's not her. It's him saying that. Right. Um, Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting about the self-esteem. Does it come from like a feel, a deep feeling of inferiority? Is that the base of, of narcissism? Well, it's interesting because there's really two types of uh-huh. narcissists in terms of their background. So traditionally, therapists have seen um, people who became narcissistic generally because of, say, an abusive history in childhood, um, being told they were stupid growing up, and they overcompensated for that. Mm-hmm. And so there's a deep sense of shame that's hidden inside, and they're always trying to keep a lid on that by saying, I'm really wonderful, you know, I'm the best at this, I'm the best at that. And then someone will point out that they aren't, and look at what you did, you destroyed this thing, you know, and they'll they'll feel some of that shame, which will make them afraid and then angry. And so they'll even more put more energy into putting down the person who attacked them. And Mm. so they see it as a narcissistic injury, which is very common for narcissists because they're not superior people. They're just people. We're all people. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And so when that's pointed out, then, Mm. then they, then they get so upset. Mm. Now here's something interesting is some people don't necessarily grow up with that kind of abusive put down, et cetera. They may be told that they're superior from day one. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they grow up believing, of course, I'm superior. Right. Right. And so they don't necessarily have a sense of shame inside as much as they've been trained in being a superior person. Mm. And so we, we find that they don't necessarily get as angry um, at someone who points out that they're incompetent or something is they'll be more cool about it. You know, maybe they'll get even someday, but yeah. you don't necessarily know um, exactly. But the main point I want to get to about borderline and narcissists is while there's these two different types of, of dysregulation, emotion dysregulation for borderlines and self-esteem dysregulation for narcissists, Mm -hmm. is narcissists are also about 6% 
of the U.S. Okay. population, according to one big study. But about 40% of people with one of these has the other. So that's... Oh, <laughs> so when that's you say what's the difference, right. it may it's be hard, hard to see. Maybe sure. hard to see with some people because they have both. Or maybe exactly. just traits of both. Sure. If they have traits, that means they may be more able to change, whereas a disorder means they don't change, basically. Sure. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, that's something I hadn't come across. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, so back to a little bit the high-conflict people in general. You know, is it possible, have you seen in your experience, that people with help or therapy can effectively become low-conflict over time? Is that is that possible? It, it is, and it really is a question of degree, but all of this is on a continuum. Some people are much more uh, blaming of others than others, and so what I believe is that people who, who are less severe are more open to change, mm-hmm. and it's worth teaching skills. Like I, I developed with High Conflict Institute a method for high-conflict divorce, for teaching some basic conflict resolution skills to parents that were going to family court all the time, fighting mm-hmm. over the kids. Mm-hmm. And often one or both parents had high-conflict patterns sure. of behavior. And so we have, have the courts, and, and it's going now in a few cities. It's called oh, New Ways good. for Families, and New Ways means new skills. Sure. And so we teach. They each have six individual sessions with a therapist and then three parent-child sessions. And we teach four big skills. Tell me if you notice what these are related to. We okay. teach flexible thinking. Mm-hmm. We teach managed emotions. Mm-hmm. We teach moderate behavior. Right. And we teach checking yourself. Right. So these are all parallel. Exactly. Yeah. To the high And so people that have gone through that have said they learned skills, they found Mm -hmm. it helpful, and it's not defensive because we don't talk about the past. We just teach these skills and have them practice using them going into the future. And so we see some people make a big enough change, they can stay out of court because they can solve their own problems now. Some people don't don't change. So it's really a question of degree, but I think it's worth trying with everybody is to teach them skills. And let me just mention while I'm at it, we adapted that method for the workplace. That's so great. when there's an employee who may be showing high-conflict behavior, blaming others, all or nothing, that they can get... Um, uh, coaching either like with their employee assistance professional for three sessions or an outside coach or counselor. We call that one new ways for work because mm-hmm. new ways means new skills. Exactly. And, we, and we try to keep it simple because that's yeah. what really works. That's how people remember. Yeah. If it's too complex, people won't. Yeah. It won't, it won't yeah. sink in as easily. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, you mentioned, obviously, high-complex personalities at work, in relationships, and families, and it's just, I think, something that we can't avoid coming across as personality type at one point or another in our lives. 
Um, So what are some basic ways that we can manage this personality type? And I'm going to, it's sort of a two-part question, but what are some ways we can manage this personality type at work? Um, Well, I'm going to give you a basic method for any setting. Sure. And that is, we call it the CARS method, C-A-R-S. So there's four things that seem to help. The C is for connecting with Mm -hmm. them, is we often want to disconnect or get angry at them. But instead, if you try to connect with them, especially with empathy, with paying attention, with giving them some respect for something, however small, it seems to calm them down and make it easier to manage the relationship with them. And so whether that's at work and and they're being difficult and you say, you know, having a hard day, Bob, it looks like, you know, mm-hmm. what's what's going on? You want to tell me about it? And that's attention. That's empathy, okay. attention, and respect. It shows some empathy, attention, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I see you're frustrated. You know, you did a really good job on that report last month. I'm sure you'll be able to get this to work out as well. Mm-hmm. And so feeling respected calms people down. Feeling okay. empathy calms people down. So mm-hmm. sure. that's that's one of the most important things. I had a <laughs> um, uh, a consultation client once, a woman who had uh, a new manager. And the new manager picked on her and mm. and had her as her target of blame. Sure. And so she said, I try to avoid the manager. I sneak into the office mm-hmm. in the morning before she can see me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, well, I want to suggest connecting with her. Do the right. opposite. Yeah, Ask exactly. her how her weekend was. Uh, tell her that was a you know, great presentation last week. Mm-hmm. Um, within a month, she said, I'm mm-hmm. now my manager's favorite. <laughs> wow, amazing. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because with high-complex personalities, I mean, we're, our reaction is to avoid them and because they cause so much stress and they're scary and, you know, it, it makes sense to avoid what's threatening and scary to us, but to effectively do the opposite is, that's interesting, and I can see how over time that would work. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Interesting. And- and it's especially helpful if there's somebody that you can't totally avoid. I mean, one right. thing is to totally avoid somebody. And there's situations where you can do that, like getting into a relationship slowly. So as soon as you realize, uh-oh, mm-hmm. this is a high-conflict personality, I don't want to get into this. Sure. It's easier to back out if you ease in. Exactly. Um, and so that's that's a way... Um, that you can deal with it. But if it's if you can't, let's say it's a relative that you're going to mm-hmm. see at Thanksgiving or the holidays, something like that, this is a good method to help manage sure. them. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. So CARE, C-A-R-E, that's great. I like that. So um, let me tell you about the A. Yes. I'll be quick. A is analyzing, yeah. analyzing okay. options. And so just saying, look, You've got a choice here. Let's look at your options. So you can help somebody who's Mm -hmm. frustrated and upset by focusing them on, let's look at your choices. Or if it's with you and you can say, you know, if you're going to talk to me that way, maybe it's over the phone. If you're going to talk to me that way, I'm going to hang up. So if you talk to me respectfully, then we can continue this. Oops, 
you're still talking to me that way, disrespectfully. So sure. you chose to have me hang up, and I'm going to have to hang up. Call me back right. when you're ready to talk civilly. So like looking at choices, mm-hmm. then the R is responding to any misinformation. Okay. And we developed in writing an email technique called BIF responses that are brief, uh-huh. informative, friendly, yes. and firm. Yep. I don't know if you saw that. I'm familiar with that one. Yeah, I, I, oh, I, think I read an article about that, and, and I thought that was really helpful. Um, so, yeah, dive into that one a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, well, it's it really it, it's a good way to clear up misinformation. Someone sure. sends you an email or makes a public statement that's not totally. true. Exactly. Then rather than just say, you're an idiot, that's not true, instead right. say, you know, Fred, you might not be aware – this is the accurate information. Mm-hmm. And so it's focused on information. It's brief, informative, friendly mm-hmm. tone. You know, right. Fred, you may not be aware, but here's sure. the information. And firm, and then it ends the conversation so you don't say, so what do you think of that, buddy? Instead, exactly. you just end the conversation. Here's the information. Have a good weekend. Right, right. So remove the emotion from it. Exactly. Uh, right. Remove emotions, opinions, defenses. Right. All you attacks, get with like, counterattacks. Counterattacks. Yeah. All you mm-hmm. get is new attacks. And when you defend yourself, totally. you get defensive and say, "Well, I was right mm-hmm. to do that." Mm-hmm. It feeds the conflict because now they're going to say, "No, you really were wrong." That's true. <laughs> that's so true. So that's responding to hostility or misinformation. Then the S of cars is setting limits. Now, it's not necessarily steps. So, for example, the thing I said about choices with hang up the phone or keep talking, Mm -hmm. that was also setting limits. And Mm -hmm. so that's an example that you can set personal limits. Say, no, I'm not going to discuss that. And if you keep discussing that, I'm going to end the meeting. Um, You know, Susie, you're not respecting my boundary on this. So I'm not going to be able to help you any further. If -hmm. you respect my boundary, then I can keep helping you. Things like that. I like that. Okay. That's, that's amazing. Um, so in addition to to that approach, you know, high conflict personalities impose a lot of stress on people, obviously in the workplace, um, and at home, what are ways that people on the opposite side of things can sort of reduce the stress that they're feeling? from dealing with these people? Well, I think part of it is is keeping an arm's length relationship, not getting too close um, and trying to change how the person feels. Because a lot of times people try to, you know, help the person not have their high-conflict personality. Right. And you, you just can't do that. It's like helping someone stop drinking. Um, oh. by sitting with them at a bar and saying, you know, you really shouldn't be drinking like that. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, you're not, not going to change them. So keeping that, and there's a few things we have that are often helpful. Mm-hmm. One that's my favorite is it's not about me. Right. So when they're saying, Bill, you're doing everything wrong, you're an idiot, you're not helpful, you know, I thought you knew what you were doing, but you're totally incompetent. Mm-hmm. And is to remember, this is about them. It's not about me. Right. This isn't an objective assessment. This yeah. is blame. 
And it's yeah. just, I'm their target of blame at that moment. Right. And so um, is it's not about me, help. So I've done a lot of mediation, um, you know, mm-hmm. some workplace, a lot of divorce mediation. Right. And before I go into one that I think may be high conflict, I remind myself, I call this putting on my armor. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I remind myself, though, remember, it's not about. Right. I like that. Responsible for their outcome. Mm-hmm. So if you have a friend who's got some high conflict traits and is doing self-defeating behavior, you can suggest something, but you can't control what sure. they're doing. And and don't put a lot of energy into trying to change them. You'll just be frustrated. Totally. And so I'm not responsible for their outcome. It's mm-hmm. a big one. I like that. Uh, a lot of times the issue is not the issue. They're mm-hmm. yelling at you. Let's say you, you live with a high-conflict person. They're yelling at you because... You know, you left your socks in the kitchen and didn't put them away, mm-hmm. and and, and they they're wrong, um, right? Because you didn't do that, or mm-hmm. you know, they're saying something that's absurd, and it's what's really going on is they're frustrated because they've had to stay indoors all day for three months, and sure. they're just blaming whoever's nearby. Totally. So, you know, often the issue is not the issue. Um, their personality is the issue, that right. they just blame people. So don't take it personally and don't get in an argument about the socks. Right. Is, and, and, yeah, in that case, would it be helpful if you sense that in someone to say, like, what's going on? You know, I, I don't really think it's about the socks. Is that you, helpful you, with someone like this or no? Well, you could. Mm-hmm. And if it's really totally personality-based, they may not even know either. They'll just say, you know, well, it's all your fault. You know, you're just trying to change the subject. It's all your fault. You and I both know it. <laughs> they go, right. Okay. I'm not going to ask any more questions. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but, totally. but, but for most people, 80% of people, that's an excellent question to say, wow, you know, what's going on? This yeah. seems like something else is going on. Right. And that's a really reasonable question. So some of what I'm saying um, you can do with 80% of people, but with mm-hmm. high conflict people who may be about 10% of people, mm-hmm. um, it'll backfire. But when it backfires, you just change the subject. So sure. it, it doesn't hurt to try reasonable stuff mm-hmm. with them. Um, like if you say, can, can I give you some suggestions yeah. for a couple minutes? And if they go, why dare, how dare you give me suggestions? Right. If anyone's giving suggestions, I should be giving them to you. And you go, yeah. okay, I get it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. So moving forward a little bit, you know, I've had some clients dealing with, you know, personality types that appear to be high conflict in yeah. breakups and divorce. And so that obviously raises the stakes even more as you're going through a divorce or breakup with someone with this kind of personality. Um, that can sort of make something that was unbearable during the relationship to almost unbearable during the divorce process, as I'm sure you've seen. Oh, yes. What, um, you know, and this results in attacks and accusations, many of which aren't always true. Um, what, what's some advice for people who may be going through, through that? 
in a divorce or breakup situation that that might you know be going to court at some point. Well, my my biggest advice would be to read my book Splitting, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is protecting yourself while divorcing someone with borderline or narcissistic personality disorder, but really anybody that might be a high-conflict person. Even if you don't know, I encourage people to get that book and read it even before they separate, if Mm. they can. And it's an inexpensive way to get hours and hours of advice. Totally. But what I've done in that book, which I co-authored with Randy Krager, Mm -hmm. um, who's also written about borderline personality disorder, Mm. um, is it talks really about understanding the personality and what to Mm -hmm. expect from the personality, but it also talks a lot about family court and what to expect from family court in terms of lawyers, judges, evaluators, Mm-hmm. Um, mm. All of that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, that's a good. That's so, a good but, but let me mention a couple key things. Sure. One is to keep keep a record of mm. um, negative interactions that might get brought up someday in court or in a conflict. So let's say if there's children involved, that something was said, or, or let's say you know push the child. Mm. Or, um, you know, something that happened between the two of you or with involving a child, because someday that may become important. It may help show a pattern of um, behavior that you need. I've had um, people in situations where the other person went to court to get a restraining order against them by exaggerating a very Mm. minor incident. And blowing it up into, you know, something terrible. Right. And and it wasn't accurate. And sure. if you yeah. take notes the same day that something happens, mm. a conversation or a pushing and shoving situation, whatever it is, is keep a record of those things. So mm-hmm. that's one of the um, biggest suggestions. Okay. But also be careful about what you put in writing. Mm-hmm. Like use use the BIF method to communicate because a lot of people's emails end up in court nowadays. Sharing the discovery process. Right. See, she said, you'll never see your children again, Mm. Your Honor. She said, I would never see the children again. That's what she's like, Your Honor. Mm -hmm. And you go, yeah, well, I did say that, but I was just really upset that one day, and that's not what Mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. And so don't set yourself up for something like that. Exactly. And and a, a third thing would be avoid social media because mm-hmm. it's so ironic. Let's say uh, a guy has an alcohol problem and mm-hmm. he says, oh, I'm clean and sober, haven't had a drink in five years. And then you see this Facebook picture of him at a party where he's, you know, got a beer in his hand right. or a glass of wine. Sure, yeah, not um, a good luck. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, so totally, totally. Those would be my tips. Okay, those are great tips, plus the book. And I, I, I've actually read the book, and I think it's incredibly valuable resource for people who are dealing with this. Um, so, you know, you're obviously, you mentioned you're a mediator as well um, in high-conflict divorces. What, what would be some tips, you know, as, is, 
as well as an attorney. So what are some tips for, say, negotiating a settlement with a high-conflict person who's not, you know, they're not prone to want to negotiate or be reasonable? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think focusing on your proposals about what to do rather than talking about how things have happened in the past badly. Mm. Because as soon as you focus on the past, they are going to get locked into attack-defend cycle. Okay. And so just keep it focused. Here's what I propose. Mm. And, and what do you think of that proposal or what do you propose? And so looking, looking forward, and proposals is a big way to do that. And as a mediator, I tell people, think of proposals. That's where we want to focus. I don't want to know much mm. about the past. You already both know about the past. So what I want sure. to know is, what, what can we do now? What are your proposals um, for what to do? And that, that gives you a chance, I think, of getting the best thinking of the other person, even if they're a high-conflict person. Because, you know, they can be. I've dealt with high-conflict people who were, who were lawyers, doctors, um, uh, uh, accountants, uh, just every... Every, like, they're really good at one thing, but they're not sure. good at close relationships. Right. And, and right. that's where the psychotic stuff comes out mostly. Totally. So, so using their best thinking and, yeah, and also right. helping keep the conversations calm. Yeah, um, exactly. Just matter of fact, tone. Right. So right. you don't have an accusatory tone. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, let's look at what we can do now. Here's, mm-hmm. here's my suggestions or my right. proposals, yeah. and I'm interested in what you think of those or if you have mm-hmm. some proposals of your own. Okay, That's what I we, do. Okay. Yeah, being action-oriented versus making accusations maybe to Ex- get what you want. Yeah. Exactly, okay. yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Um, so for... For parents involved in, let's see, um, just looking at my next question here, um, parents involved who have children who are, you know, going through a divorce process, is co-parenting possible with someone who is high conflict? Well, it depends. There's a lot of it depends about all of this. Sure. Um, One thing that's worked is um, having them have very little contact with each other, but having lots of contact with the kids. There's a lot of high-conflict mm-hmm. people who are actually pretty good parents, sure. even though they don't get along with the other parent. Mm-hmm. And so, and courts are trending over the last 10, 15 years towards more and more equal parenting time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've had cases where, and they call this parallel parenting. Exactly. The, I was going to bring that up next. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So each parent, let's say, has 50% of the parenting time. But it could be 20% one has okay. and 80 the other has. But sure. the kids don't talk to the other parent when they're in each parent's home because that's oh. often disruptive and undermining. Mm. And the parents don't necessarily talk to each other very often. I had a case where they had a parenting coordinator who they would meet with once a year and hmm. they mapped out the entire schedule for the year, the holidays, wow. the pickup times, the sports activities, all that stuff. And they'd work that out 
like in one or two sessions. And then the rest of the year, they would have virtually no email correspondence, yeah. phone calls, texts. And yet they each did, did well with the kids. And the kids sure. felt relieved because they weren't in the middle of conflict. Exactly. Yeah. And wow. So, that's a good so, okay. Yeah. So people don't realize how disruptive it can be if you have parents in conflict and mm-hmm. and the, the kids are talking to the other parent in the middle of their time in in the other parent's mm-hmm. house. For and sure. so I've had I've had cases where you know kids have talked to the other parent and when they get off the phone they're in tears. Exactly. And they're like, I hate you. You know, right. I want to leave. I want to go to mommy's or daddy's. Yeah. Or, yeah. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Right. Yeah. And, and one thing before I forget what I mentioned is none of this is a gender issue mm-hmm. that we really see high conflict people that are men, high conflict people that are women. Sometimes mm-hmm. the dynamics are different, but okay. just like I'm saying with parallel parenting, it could be a mom that's disrupting the child, could be a dad that's disrupting right. the child. We see this in alienation cases where a child mm-hmm. doesn't want to spend time with the other parent. Mm-hmm. And yes. the person, the rejected parent, could be dad or could be right. mom. I've, yeah. I've worked with both. I'm sure. So, exactly. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation in and of itself. That's very scary. But um, right. interesting. Yeah. So, um, we're, I think we're going to getting close to an hour here, so we'll wrap up, but, um, you know, you host numerous webinars, trainings, you've obviously written a number of books on this subject and beyond. What's next on the horizon for you? Well, actually, we're uh, working on uh, three books. Wow. <laughs> You're um, busy. Yeah. One of them is on mediating high-conflict disputes. And I've been training mediators in this method for about 10 years, but never wrote a book about it. So getting that written for professionals. But for everybody, we're doing a second book on BIF communications just for co-parents in separation and divorce. So we'll have about 20 examples of different issues, healthcare decisions, educational decisions, all that stuff, and how to respond to hostile or misinformed Mm -hmm. emails. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also doing a third BIF book on the workplace. So it'll be BIF at work. Mm -hmm. So that, so those are those three. And a lot of what um, otherwise, I'm focused on, and High Conflict Institute in general, is our website and getting more and more uh, webinars and trainings on the website. And I'm happy, actually, to, to announce that we've started a second website called ConflictPlaybook.com. Oh, okay. And this is geared, so we've separated out more for the average person information for them so they can take short courses in different issues like in the workplace or co-parenting. And so we've put a lot of this stuff online there. So, for example, we have an online uh, parenting, co-parenting method. It's 12 sessions. Okay. And it's it's one of our new ways for families methods, but mm-hmm. people can sign up and start taking it just going to our website. So we're really okay. beefing up our website. I love it. 
Yeah. So much content. It's amazing. Yeah, I have a, I have a background in, in addition to coaching, I have a background in content marketing. So that's kind of something I, I love geeking out about. But oh, that's I'm awesome. just learning about that. Yeah, so that's, well, you have that's a ton quite of a skill. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're already on it, which is amazing. Um, yeah, so this has been an incredible conversation, Bill. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I think this is going to be a, an amazing podcast to share with my audience. Um, you've mentioned the High Conflict in- Institute website, but where else might people be able to find you if there are other avenues out there? Well, actually, one other place to tell you about is I have a blog on psychology today. Oh, yeah. And so t- psychologytoday.com. And I'm happy right. to say last night, my blogs, uh, I reached 4 million views. Amazing. So 4 million, it, I don't know how many people, maybe everyone looks at two articles, so maybe it's just 2 million people, but no, I'm no, very that's excited. That's <laughs> congratulations, that's amazing. That's how I found your articles, and then I found your book separately, but um, yeah, oh. no, you have great content on there, so really valuable um, articles, for sure. And that's all free. So exactly, exactly. A, a um, lot of good stuff in a nutshell. But um, Amazon is where I have all the books, and I do okay. want to mention um, Dating Radar. It's a mm. book that helps people not get into high-conflict divorces. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and so good. That's, a, okay. that's a resource. But otherwise, I think okay. highconflictinstitute.com and also now conflict, conflictplaybook.com um, are great sources of a lot of information, uh, articles, books, videos, consultation. Uh, we really want people to, to help people understand and manage high-conflict relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're doing great work. It's very important, and it's definitely something that people need help with because it's not necessarily intuitive. Um, in dealing with this challenging sort of personality. So thank you so much for your time, Bill, and uh, let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. Take care, Bill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more expert advice from Bill Eddy at his blog on psychologytoday.com, at highconflictinstitute.com, and his books on Amazon and wherever books are sold. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a review and make sure to follow us on iTunes and Spotify and on Instagram and Facebook at, at @interrelate podcast. See you next time.